September 1st, 1985. The remains of the Titanic are finally found. Thousands of miles away, James Cameron gets an erection. Welcome to The Revisionist. I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. And our guest, uh, new to the Denver Front Range metro area. Um, <laughs> it sounds like I'm better at introduction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so excited. Please welcome Bridget Callahan to the show, everyone. Hello, everybody. Um, listeners, this, uh, <laughs> this is our second time trying to record this episode. Uh, we well, that's some- true, yeah. We had some software. Uh, you you missed some great stuff. I talked about how the Chicago River turns green. We made our patented anti-Irish. It's, it's not, turns green. It's not magic. It, like turns green with it. all the dead carp blood. <laughs> oh, yeah, all the all the Irishmen who trip into it. On St. Patrick's every Day. Time, uh, every time uh, a prominent uh, Chicago politician makes a corrupt deal, the river turns green. He <laughs> <Everybody> knows it. <laughs> and no one uh, does anything. So the yeah, town in North well, Carolina that I just moved from has this severe poisoning water issue. Oh, First no. of all, the name of the toxin poisoning the water is called Gen X. Which is oh fuck that's just like feels like from a bad it's like Frank someone Miller. spit like some research chemical guy was like I'm gonna spit in everyone's faces and just call it Jen. <laughs> but now I get real weird about water and as we we're talking about the green thing I was like man I would never ever drink Chicago municipal water after I saw the river after St Patrick's Day I could never do it well yeah I do feel like somebody there is probably upset they called it Gen X instead of millennial because then they can say <laughs> millennial is killing the river <laughs> and. Millennials killing all the small fish. It was actually really ingenious if you think about it, because when you go to Google Gen X, the, all the stories about how they've poisoned all the water of southeastern North Carolina don't come up. You know. <laughs> to so. be fair, though, Gen X already sounds like that chemical the Joker uses in the 1980s <laughs> yeah. Batman movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just contributing to the general dysphoria of our time. Anyway. Yeah. Um, uh, what are we doing? We're doing some kind of mini-series? What the fuck is going on with this? <laughs> well, uh, listeners, if you're new to the show, what we do each episode is we take a topic from history. One person presents the official um, version of events, and another person comes up with a crazy, bonkers, off-the-wall, uh, off-the-chain, off-the-hook alternate history. Um, and the winner it's becomes... off all the things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, is there a thing you're usually on? Heroin, for example? It's off of that. <laughs> off heroin, baby. Um, off the wagon? Um, I don't remember if that means sober or not. Um, that right means in- not sober. <laughs> yeah, it definitely means not sober. Okay. Well, that, there's that fucking Seinfeld episode, and it always confuses me. You're sober. Me Get off the wagon before it falls off the cliff. That's <laughs> what sober people do is they fall off the wagon. Anyway, yeah, exactly. Well, no, because that's yeah. like that fucking wait, wait, Seinfeld wait. episode is... where there's like Jerry makes the argument that it should be on the wagon means you're not sober because they transported booze in wagons. And since then, I've never been able to get that saying right. Um, I think that's a very I feel like you could argue for either side of that metaphor very easily. But I do like this alternate version of the saying where. It's actually telling you you should be drunk because if you fall off the wagon, you <laughs> won't go off the cliff. So actually, being drunk is good. <laughs> uh, 
God damn it. Uh, right now, we, listeners, we are uh, we are smack dab in the middle of our Jack the Ripper miniseries. Uh, we're hot on his trail. Uh, we're going to find out who Jack the Ripper was, uh, or is, maybe, if there's some immortality that plays into the one of the alternate histories. Um, we, uh, on our previous episode... Um, Francis Tumblety with uh, it's a Katie. It's a hard Hay. name to remember. It's a dumb fucking name. Uh, no, it's a fucking great name. It's a great name. A children's, as I've said on the last episode, if there was a children's book about like Francis Tumblety, the magical, you know, caterpillar, everybody <laughs> oh. would remember. I, I mean, he has I, a top hat. Oh. The magic caterpillar that went around stealing women's uteruses. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the fucking rolled doll version. Um, with uh, Francis Tumblety with Katie Hannon, where uh, the alternate history was uh, Francis Tumblety was sort of just a bit, bit of a klutz, a bit unlucky, uh, and ended up killing more than five people um, because of that. Uh, so that is just a recap of that episode. But go listen to the episode yes. because he's obviously actually Jack the Ripper and all of my <laughs> opinion weight is behind Tiny Tim being Jack the Ripper. Tiny Tim. That's just what I'm calling it. I can't little pronounce tums. that name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> little Tums. Little, little teeny little tiny tum tum. Tim Tums. <laughs> um, well, <clears throat> this episode we're going to be discussing little fella by the name of James Maybrick. Um, he may brick, he may not. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I'm, Zach, dear God, I hope your audacity crashed after you said that. <laughs> no, yeah, it's the alternate take of my other joke, which is when you see his diary, you may shit bricks. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the way more Crypt Keeper version. I like that. Every time I saw his name, I kept thinking Maytag, which also just made me feel really old because I don't know why I'm thinking Maytag. But like, Maybrick never stuck in my head. Mayweather, Mayfellow. These, Mayweather. Yeah. Yeah, Floyd, Floyd. Yeah, his name was James Money Maybrick. <laughs> um, and he, he got in a fist fight with Manny Pacquiao. I did not realize I knew this much about boxing. It's a lot. Yeah. Um, but Zach, you'll be doing the actual history of this episode. Uh, so I'm told. <laughs> Alright. And then, Bridget, you've got the alternate? I do. Alright. Uh, Zach, whenever you're ready. Hey there. This is Brian, reminding you that The Revisionist is supported by listeners just like you. You can make a pledge and get rewards like shirts and even the right to vote over at patreon.com slash the revisionists. James Maybrick was born in Liverpool. <laughs> that's an okay way to say Liverpool. that. I think that's yeah. actually the official pronunciation. <laughs> I am I am succumbing to the heat. I'm actually becoming heat stroke heat stroke Zach again. Um, <laughs> oh, heat stroke Zach. So James Maybrick was born in Liverpool uh, in 1838. Uh, he was named after his older brother who had died the year previous, uh, as <laughs> children do in that time. Yep, 1838. Uh, the, no, it was called the year without a child. Yeah, that uh, is uh, the primary function of children at the time was to not survive. <laughs> and uh, he grew up to run a cotton business, which required him to travel back and forth between the United States and England at a regular interim. In 1874, he was in Virginia when he caught malaria 
and he was treated with a medication that contained arsenic, which he allegedly <laughs> became addicted to for the rest of his life. <laughs> the arsenic thing, man, I, I mean, I... I know I talked about this before, but I learned so much about arsenic poisoning. <laughs> so first of all, it was like a regular medication for malaria, right? Mm-hmm. It was a cosmetic wash. So <laughs> like you used it on your skin, so you looked healthy. And then also, uh, right around in the 1840s, they invented the life insurance policy. Yeah. yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah. arsenic poisonings, because arsenic was so common in mm-hmm. everybody's like pantries, went way up, like so far up. Because people kept killing their children because there was no birth control. So you got a life insurance policy on like number 12 and then poisoned him. Mm-hmm. And everyone just thought that you had mixed up the flour and the sugar and the arsenic. And that was a big thing. <laughs> but like, you know, just the tin you keep it in on the fucking counter. That is ex- no, but that's exactly it, right? Like it was like a white powder yeah. that mixed with them. Um, yeah, coffee, tea, sugar, arsenic, fire, or whatever. Just bullets. Fire? Your yeah. box of fire that you keep oh, on the- And a box of bullets, <laughs> which, by the way, would not be particularly fatal if you put them in cooking. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I know a lot about arsenic poisoning now. No, I mean, I think, as we, I think we discussed in our episode on, um, oh, fuck, what was her name? Um, who, it was like Shocktober, she murdered a bunch of suitors. Belganess. Belganess, yeah. Uh, the invention of, the invention of life insurance kind of open season for murder for a lot of years well and they created this whole person like uh, perception in the news that it was all women doing this mm-hmm. uh because you know what else do you have happening right around the 1840s right I, yeah. so uh even though 90 percent of the murders with arsenic uh were by men the idea of the woman murderer became like a really big deal in pop culture because yeah. of arsenic Anyway, I do I'm feel done. like whoever created life insurance had to be like some bright-eyed person who's like, well, golly, people should get something when their loved one dies. And there's so many people who are like, tell me more. Death can be profitable. <laughs> yeah, it's like fucking Tim Robbins in the first like 20 minutes of Hudsucker Proxy, basically. Oh, that's a deep yeah. cut reference. Yes. <laughs> uh, but I also, I also think of like... Uh, the 19 teens and like what people thought radium like people thought radium was a miracle fucking drug mm-hmm. and like drank it up glug 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 you know and then fucking everyone glug. dies drank it up glug 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 that was the catchphrase for your radium <laughs> Just, it was also the catchphrase for josta if i remember correctly <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh god damn it anyway zach sorry All right, so while he was in the U.S., one of the times he didn't get malaria, (laughs) uh, he met a woman named Florence Elizabeth Chandler, uh, a beautiful 18-year-old. This man was 42 at the time, and they immediately started a relationship and began to plan their wedding. I I see. I knew that detail was coming again, and still not... Ugh, no. Anyway. See... Now it's half your age plus seven, but in the 1800s, it was, it's the 1800s, so 18. (laughs) Uh, So uh, their wedding eventually occurred in 1881 in Piccadilly, London. Uh, They returned to Liverpool to live at Maybrick's home called uh, the Buttercrease House. (laughs) 
In, Named uh, after his favorite sex position. Oh, no. Oh, God. <laughs> yep, the old Buttercrease house sent many a good people to hey, physical Hey, the Maybricks have been pulling that shit off since the 1500s. <laughs> Do not knock their history. Yeah, it's in the English Kama Sutra, which is just one page. It's missionary <laughs> one very and greasy finger painted page. And to be fair, yeah, I feel like most English sex positions, such as the buttercrease position, are just like missionary, but like they're eating crumpets <laughs> or some kind of fatty food. Yeah, it's missionary with different hats each time. Yeah. Um, they had two children. Uh, James Chandler Maybrick, who they name, who they called Bobo, according to this article. <laughs> you left that out last time. Yeah, I, I'm Old glad Bobo I got to Maybrick. include the, the story about Bobo. Jack the Ripper's son, Bobo. <laughs> <laughs> and Gladys, who did not have a funny nickname, at least as far as I can tell. So Maybrick continued working, dividing his time between America and England Conducted a brief affair. Uh, his wife actually had a brief affair with a fella named Alfred. Uh, that seems to probably be true. So everything I read was uh, also talked about how James Maybrick. So he has he had a common law. He wife also before yeah, he had he he was also cheating. It was a cheating all yeah. around kind of. So I think we need to give uh, we need to give Florence a little bit more well, due here. No. Like she had an affair because he had like five. 50 other children. Also you know? because she is like, what, 20 and he would be in his 50s at this point, maybe, or something like that. And also addled from yeah. like constant arsenic yeah. usage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, his health suddenly started deteriorating in 1889. Imagine that. Suddenly. <laughs> uh, he died uh, about two weeks later. At his home, there was an inquest into his death, and it seems that likely his death was caused by arsenic poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what an innocent so, time. So his wife was immediately arrested uh, for poisoning her husband with the thing he was addicted to. And <laughs> she was uh, eventually found guilty, sentenced to death, which was commuted to life imprisonment. Uh, after there were some questions about the uh, about the trial. Uh, and in 1904, she was full-on released after her case was reassessed. Um, yeah, the, judge, the judge in her case, like, went crazy right after he, right? He got committed. Wait, really? Yeah, no, like, that was the last case he ever tried because he got sent away and committed <laughs> after that case. It was a, I, I did see it was a very high profile case, but I did not see that bit about the judge. I just saw that there was questions about the case. I, I trust your uh, judgment that that is probably what happened. Uh, she was released in 1904, as I said. She lived until 1941 doing various odd jobs. And after she was originally sent to prison, she never saw her children again. So what a depressing story this has all been. That does not involve Jack the Ripper in any capacity. <laughs> Can I tell you a oh. really quick fact about Florence's death? Sure. So she like ended up living in Connecticut as like a house cleaning lady, and by all accounts, like lived in this really squalid little house outside of town. And she was she didn't want anyone to know her name. She like tried to be anonymous because of, she was trying to leave all this behind. So the town just knew her as the cat lady, and I swear I'm not <laughs> making that up. She's collected cats in this little house, and when she died, they buried her in the schoolyard. Oh, no. 
So Florence, Florence Maybrick, Cat um, Lady, Jesus so, Christ. Ultimately, this episode should be called Florence Maybrick because that's the person who Who's suffered the worst. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but then in 1992, a diary surfaced. 1992. Uh, 1992. What, the year Bill year. Clinton was uh, elected. Bill Correct. Clinton was elected. Uh, uh, Terminator 2, I think. I think that was even later. I think it was 93 or 94. 92. <laughs> nothing nothing doing. Flu epidemic in Russia. Mm, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, everybody remembers the 92 <laughs> Russia flu <laughs> epidemic. <laughs> uh, no, you're probably right. It was probably Terminator 2 times. Anyways, Terminator <laughs> 2 time. Around Terminator 2 times, as we all know it. <laughs> Which is also they the name Terminator of Terminator int- Two times because he always referenced Terminator Two. I was going to say an interesting mafia hitman. <laughs> uh, so uh, around Aladdin times, um, around the time Winona and Keanu Reeves maybe got married, according to that story that came out this week, uh, oh, a yeah. diary. Wait, what? Yeah. No, go back. What? Oh. Uh, Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder were maybe really married on the set of Dracula. Oh, it was Dracula. That How the fuck it. did I miss that? What the fuck is <laughs> going on with me? That's an adorable me. story. They're like, did Anthony nice. Hopkins yeah. marry them or something? What was that? Aw. Yeah. Chill out tonight. Have a glass of bre- uh, wine or something and, and read about Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder being friends and maybe married. And <laughs> it's, it's a very nice thing in a very not nice world. Keanu Reeves um, publishes books now. I did read that. Really? He's, wow. he's going into book publishing. I've heard that he's like a, the nicest. He's very charitable and gives people things all the time. So I heard he's like the nicest person ever. Um, yeah. So Other than Steve Buscemi. Well, Steve Buscemi is a 9-11 hero. And Keanu Reeves <laughs> is a 9/11 unbelievably hero. kind <laughs> and has had a lot of hard times in his life. Yeah. So, and is yeah. definitely Jack the Ripper. All right. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Sorry. So. All right. So... Uh, this fella named Michael Barrett uh, produces this diary that is allegedly James Maybrick in which he, in length, confesses to being Jack the Ripper, describes crime scenes, etc., etc. Michael Barrett is an unemployed lever- Liverpool scrap metal uh, uh, dealer. <laughs> who... That's the most Liverpool job. Can you just, I can picture I this guy. Can't you just like yeah. picture this guy? <laughs> In he has every soot, even though he's not near a chimney. <laughs> Who said he got the diary from his friend Tony in a pub. <laughs> I want to say Tony's last name is Devereaux. And whenever I see the word Devereaux, I think of the Detroiters episode where they sing the song, Oh, Devereaux. And uh, it's a good show. You should check it out. <laughs> I'm going to... I want to tell you that little thing I told you about uh, in the first time about what his mm-hmm. wife said when he gave, when she was talking about. Oh, yeah, so yeah, the yeah. story is, is that Michael's estranged wife, whose oh. name is Allison or Alice or something. I can't remember now. Anne. Yeah, it's Anne. Anne. All right. Mm-hmm. So Anne said that she gave the diary to Tony, the guy at the bar where her estranged husband went all the time because Michael was like a self-proclaimed writer and he was always telling everybody about how he's going to write this amazing book. Apparently, also, he wrote for the city paper, he wrote the children's puzzles for the little paper that was like his claim to writing fame. 
Uh, so she gave the diary to Tony because she hoped that Michael would write a story about it and have a best-selling book and get his life together and stop being mm. sad over their divorce. That's like the basis of a bad rom-com, I yeah, feel like. Yeah, a really bad failing one because they didn't pull it off. Yeah. <laughs> less, less, less you've got mail and more you've got a serial killer's diary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Awesome. Regardless, uh, eventually Michael changed his story and said that uh, he got the diary because he, the aforementioned Anne had had it in her family for generations. Um, <laughs> and she didn't want to announce that because she had a strained relationship with her father. And if word of the diary, if all this got out, uh, she might have conflict with him. Um, he also admitted in court at one point that he forged the diary, but then unconfessed that recanted. he forged the diary yeah recanted I guess is a better word than unconfessed, <laughs> unconfessed. <laughs> which I think is like the first track off of TLC's fan mail okay cool fine. Yeah, no one's following um, up you know what else I read is they, that's some they, shit from Terminator 2 times Brian <laughs> I read that uh, somebody else had said that Tony and some people had found it while renovating James Maybrick's old home was a story that went around for a while that they had actually found the diary in the floorboards of the house while they were renovating it in 92. So I don't know where exactly that came from, but that was that was all over the blogs too, was that version. Mm-hmm. So basically the moral of the story is there's a dozen different versions, as is true of every story that's true. <laughs> uh, yep, <laughs> and is not a sign of somebody lying at all. Anyway, <laughs> they did tests on this diary, uh, and they found that the diary itself seems to be of about the contemporary time when the Jack the Ripper killings occurred. Mm-hmm. Though the first twenty pages are inexplicably torn out, and the diary just starts after that. Uh, it seems unclear why Maybrick, a wealthy man, would use a secondhand diary like that, but. Anyway, the ink itself, inconclusive to when it came from. Some people feel like it could have been authentic uh, 1880s ink. Some people feel like it might have been a little later based on the iron content. I don't know nothing about forensics. Don't ask me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought there was a preservative that was missing from the ink, and that's why they were like saying that it gave it more credence. Because like after a certain time period, they added this preservative mm. to ink, and it wasn't present, so it might be like the ink would be older. Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Uh, there's incidental details. Uh, there's uh, according to the diary, uh, he killed because he was outraged at his wife's affair and took his anger out on random women. Some of the pictures of Mary Kelly, the final victim, have something that could be described as an FM written on her, which could mean Florence Maybrick, his wife. Uh, mm-hmm. Seems pretty, pretty, pretty loose to me. Not, uh, not too substantial. And I mean, that could be like people writing that in after like the Absolutely. news of the diary coming out. You know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, he has some accounts of crime scenes that don't match up with like internal police documentation of what happened in those crime scenes. They mm. match up with popular conception like that. Again, with Mary Kelly, that her limbs were thrown about the room, not true, or that 
her removed breasts were on the side table. They were actually underneath the body. Um, so the accounts, the first-hand accounts are not particularly reliable. Mm-hmm. The only other thing that gives this any credence is that about a year later, after the diary emerged, a pocket watch emerged, which was contemporary for the time, with the name J. Maybrick, Maybrick scratched on the inside cover, not engraved, but scratched, along with the words, I am Jack, and the initials of the five canonical Ripper victims. Mm-hmm. Now, this was also examined, and basically the conclusion was, it's possible it's a forgery, but it's a pretty good one. Like, somebody took some time to make the engravings look worn down, and mm-hmm. things like that. So it didn't look like they were just engraved the week before, or some shit. But, but I mean, just also... It's just also someone could do that. The idea that, like, he would need to remind himself that he's Jack the Ripper, and, like, every time he looks at his pocket watch. Right. Well, you know Here's what? The so... other... Oh, go ahead. Here's the other interesting thing. Even if all of this was actually Maybricks, it's not even conclusive proof that he was Jack the Ripper. It's no, just conclusive proof that he fantasized about yeah. it. Yeah. 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 I was going to say, so, like, there was so much newspaper fraud happening mm-hmm. around Jack the Ripper, right? Like, that's the whole thing. It's the big first, like, sensational international crime case. And we're all going to, like, make up letters so we can sell more papers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the diary and both the watch could legitimately be from that time and could be left over from some very zealous journalists being like, I'm going to create yeah. all this stuff and sell all these papers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, it could be old forgeries. It could have been Maybrick who just believed he wanted to be Jack the Ripper, which I, I even doubt that. I, I think the I, the argument that Maybrick is Jack the Ripper is extremely slight. Uh, the real story here is the story of a woman who was fucking gypped and treated terribly <laughs> for her whole life. And the story of uh, Michael Barrett and his opportunistic hoax. I think are the two stories that uh, I have told. And then Maybrick just happened to be along for the ride. Yeah. Do you know what thing that was really sad about Florence is right before she met uh, Maybrick, her father had just died and her mom had just like married a baron to like, like obviously had this kind of gold digging, like we're Alabama money. And now I have to go marry some German baron because your father died. <laughs> right. And so obviously she pushed her little 18 year old debutante daughter on like who she thought was a rich guy from Britain. Right. You know, so it's even sadder when you think of it that way. Uh, uh, as Jesus. for my true, uh, true accounting, although uh, I think we're going to get a little bit more details coming up. Um, uh, Michael Maybrick, I think might get mentioned at the end oh, of the yeah. show. At the end of the show, I think after the alternate history, we might talk about him a little bit. A little bonus true history. That does it for my true history of James Maybrick. Coming to you from the X-Access, it's John of All Trades with your host, John X. Welcome, welcome, welcome to this John of All Trades podcast promo. Each Wednesday, I bring you a brand new interview with someone fascinating and ask the question we all ask when we meet someone new. Hey, what do you do? It's fun, informative, and it's the 2017 Westward Reader's Choice Award winner for Best Denver Podcast. iTunes, Stitcher, and johnofalltrades.us. Just launch into it. Yeah. All right. So obviously, I did a lot of research on this, guys. <laughs> right? I've been to a lot of corners of the internet on this. Uh, I am not actually like a true crime person. 
I really love history, but I'm not a true crime person mm-hmm. at all. So I didn't know a lot of the Jack the Ripper stuff. Uh, so this has all been really interesting. But uh, so here's what I've come up with. And I'm just going to kind of read from my notes a little bit, too. Um, to, to really explain this story, I think you have to go all the way back to the very beginning when James and his brother Michael were growing up in Liverpool uh, and James had that older brother who died, right? Mm-hmm. James James the first, right? <laughs> and uh, I think that... Beta James, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think his parents named him James because they were sentimental. I think that they had already set up a Freemasonic account under James Maybrick, the first one, and they just wanted to keep it going. So when they <laughs> broke the first child, they just went ahead and registered the second child yeah. under James Maybrick. Uh, do you guys know about the Anuki aliens? No. <laughs> have you I'm ever heard familiar. of the 12 tribes of aliens conspiracy? Uh, no. This sounds almost cool. like it's also vaguely I am, anti-Semitic. I am overrun so. with conspiracy theories in 2018 and have <laughs> had no time to go back to older ones. This is a real old one, actually. This is like true GeoCities kind of conspiracy. <laughs> um, and I'm probably pronouncing the name of the aliens wrong. You're not super wrong about it being vaguely anti-Semitic. Um, well, when you said from GeoCities, I was like, yeah, yeah probably. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's about like three Google searches removed just in that, that <laughs> airspace, right? Anyway, the Anuki... For all of our listeners who are less than like 27 years old, GeoCities was a web poster <laughs> from uh, back in the day. You used to write your blog on GeoCities. <laughs> <laughs> was that before LiveJournal? No, it was, it was concurrent with LiveJournal. Okay. I had a LiveJournal. Did you guys... I'm, I'm probably... I had a Zanga? Yeah, I was a Zanga. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're probably like seven years younger than me. (laughs) Well, Zach and I are both 30. Oh, I'm 39. I'm so close right there. I got real close on that. All right. (laughs) Anyway, let's go back to the Anoki. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Anoki are one of the 12 tribes of aliens that are supposed to be present on the earth. And they are named... Uh, after these Sumerian gods. So the Anoki are this idea that these like alien gods came down and helped build the pyramids and everything. It's that conspiracy, right? Right, okay. Right. So they're also uh, very connected with the Freemasons. And when you look at all the Jack the Ripper stuff, there is Freemason stuff all over it. Um, <laughs> and in fact, we'll talk about that with Michael at the end of the episode there. <laughs> but so my... My reading of this story is that the Maybrick family were Anuki representatives on Earth. And that's why they were so involved with the Freemasons and why James and Michael were both uh, made members of the Freemasons very early on. Because the whole point of them being on the planet was to carry out Anuki-like Right. Schemes. I'm not They're saying basically it ambassadors. Right. How, yeah. I keep saying a nookie and it makes me think yeah. of um, the nookie. Fred Durst. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they did it all for a nookie. Yeah. Uh, as famously. Throwing me off here. God so, fucking damn it. The story of the Anuki is that they came to Earth because they needed gold and they are interdimensional beings, so they couldn't actually pick up or harvest the gold themselves. So they built these biological robots and programmed them to only want to collect as much gold as possible. Those biological robots are, of course, humanity, right? (laughs) Uh, Which is why we're programmed to gather as much wealth as possible, right? Of course. (laughs) And then you have all these other aliens that have come down and also colonized on the planet. So there's the Greys, there's the Pleiadians, which Mm -hmm. are like supposed to be 
be these wise Zen masters. So anytime anyone tells you this story, they're usually going to tell you next that they're a Pleiadian. Yeah. Um, and then there's like I holograms. See, I can see that blog post editing with by the ending. Uh-huh. With, by the way, I'm a Pleiadian or whatever. And then there's the lizard people are part of this too. And we all know mm. the lizard people, right? Yeah. So the lizard people they, and the Anunnaki. The, the lizard people have gotten mainstream success. <laughs> yes. Lizard people are played out by now. <laughs> I like their first album better or whatever. The Pleiadians are like, yeah, I guess the lizard people are okay if you're into like lowest common denominator. <laughs> 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 yeah, the Pleiadians used you... to open. The lizard people used to open for the Pleiadians, and now it's just like <laughs> fucking. So, uh, the Anaki and the lizard people are the main people in the story um, because the Anaki have been for centuries trying to control the gold and banking, and they built the British Empire, and they had really entrenched themselves and were kind of keeping the world in keel of their little enterprise. And then the lizard people are very much the Alex Joneses of the world, right? They're the propaganda leaders. The propaganda leaders. I did. Yeah. Let's pretend that was a band reference and not me mispronouncing the word. Uh, I love <laughs> what I really love about a lot of these alien conspiracies is we have species that in like the 18, 17, 16, 1500s have conquered like intergalactic space travel. The degree of their technology is absurd. Mm-hmm. And their primary concern on Earth is to control the 15th century <laughs> banking system. Oh, oh, we got a bag of doubloons. Can you imagine? <laughs> we only have light speed travel, but fucking this bag of doubloons. <laughs> this that's what rock I'm here for. that we, for some reason, want. Yeah. Uh, I also love, we can I love this the idea. That's 400 years away from Netflix and control <laughs> the affairs. <laughs> yeah, the benchmark for human achievement. I also love the idea that a propagandi. Uh, <laughs> ministry went on to become like a weaker thens ministry it was That'd actually be much better jk <laughs> minister of education anyway sorry thens. to interrupt no it's okay uh so the the england we've got the british empire those are the freemasons and the anaki we've got the new united states those are the lizard people who are coming <laughs> to power right based off their commercialization and their like generally bully charm and James and Michael are assigned as representatives of the Naki to carry out these missions on behalf of their species. Mm-hmm. Most of James's early missions are actually focused on creating viable Anaki human hybrid breeding stock that would be irresistible. Uh, I can't even talk now. I'm sorry. I'm so excited about this idea. They would be resistant to the lizard people's brainwashing techniques. So he ended up uh, fucking a lot, basically. <laughs> he, he had a lot of kids. He knocked up a lot of washerwomen and prostitutes. And the best place, the place in London to find I, those people was Whitechapel. And yeah. I want to say yeah, uh, something I forgot in my uh, retelling of the real history. Speaking of his relationship with women, there are some accounts that he was Texas serial killer. The servant girl annihilator. Oh, yeah. We um, didn't go into that. That's so, so important. named by O. Henry. Uh, because it turns out he annihilated servant girls. Uh, he did. And that's just a real yeah. thing. That's not an aliens taking over the world thing. There was an actual no. servant girl <laughs> annihilator. Who and also. that's what they called him. Um, has been occasionally linked with a former episode subject, the Axeman of New Orleans. 
Well, he made, like that would make more connection. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. So because the people, servant girl annihilator used axes. Yeah, for people who weren't listening to us the first time, the servant girl annihilator was this string of murders in Austin, Texas, a couple years before mm-hmm. the Whitechapel murders. Um, Which, for you cartography nerds. Austin and New Orleans are much closer <laughs> than, Austin. than Austin and Whitechapel. <laughs> but James Maybrick was actually in Austin the year that those murders were taking place, mm. according to the internet and not validated by anything else hey. other than some .org and .net sites. And it's not okay. a crime to be in Austin, I should say. That sounds, if you'll allow me, that sounds like some lizard people propaganda <laughs> bullshit to me. I mean, let's he, get back into it. Yeah. All right, let's get back into it. So, so James Maybrick is trying to create all this viable uh, breeding stock. He's fucking a bunch of prostitutes mm-hmm. in Whitechapel um, to try and avoid looking, you know, getting too much of a reputation. He actually has this woman, Sarah Ann Robertson, who holds a house for him in Whitechapel. So she lives in Whitechapel and she picks up this reputation of being his common law wife because he's already always over there all the time. But really, he's using her house to take these drugged women back from the bar, fuck them, and then uh, take proper blood samples and bodily fluid samples and everything he needs for his experiments, right? I feel like this is also part of an X-Files uh, <laughs> mythology plot line. Well, so these experiments are going on, right? He Next meets- sentence. So agents Mulder and Foldy. <laughs> <laughs> so he meets Flory. Uh, Florence mm-hmm. uh, was calling herself Flory at the time. He meets Flory on the boat and he um, immediately is attracted to her and then finds out that she is actually part lizard person. She doesn't know this herself, but he uh, finds out through tracing her family that she is part lizard person. Um, oh, no, and that's a Montague and a Capulet. <laughs> so his assignment becomes trying to knock her up to get a lizard Anaki hybrid, you, which he's personally. <laughs> I was going to say he's personally very, very offended by this idea, right? <laughs> so he knocks up his wife and creates this child, his first son, Boo Boo, uh, <laughs> which I think we didn't cover yet either, uh, and becomes obsessed with how much he hates his wife and hates his son because they are lizard people, right? <laughs> um, and starts not, you know, and that's when he and Flory really separate. Uh, this is a Romeo and Juliet story. And by the way, the lizard people, Anuki, Romeo and Juliet is Far superior to the Shakespearean one. Not as good as West Side Story, but better than the original. Think about um, if you could do West Side course, Story and they were actual sharks, though. And of course, oh, true. I do. <laughs> and actual and jets. jets. <laughs> uh, all right, let's get through this. All right, I'm almost, I'm almost done. So he gets a new assignment. His new assignment uh, becomes uh, to... Figure out how to breed an Anucky human cat hybrid. Because mm-hmm. lizard people are actually very, very um it what's that name of that parasite? Toxoplasmosis. Mm-hmm. They're very, yeah. very vulnerable to toxoplasmosis. I know it's that because I definitely have it. Oh, yeah. We yeah. all do. <laughs> Did you know that it makes you want more cats is part of the <laughs> parasite? Is that you Listen. just want to be around more cats? <laughs> The moral of the story is that we're all Florence, the cat lady, maybe. Yeah, we are. So, so he starts going and knocking up women in Whitechapel with this cat semen that he has treated in his oh, laboratory. No. Florence discovers what's going on because she catches him jacking off the family cat in the barn behind the house. 
She follows him to Whitechapel, realizes what he's doing. Sorry, I pictured that like a fucking like Three's Company situation where they're actually just rehearsing lines for a play or something, and she walks in and it's just like it looks like he's jacking off the cat, and it's just a big misunderstanding. I feel like you've watched way better episodes of Three's Company than I have. Yeah, no, no, definitely, it's the fucking Sharks versus Jets edition. I think Brian's just seen the one where you can maybe see John Ritter's scrotum like (laughs) forty times. So Florence decides that her estranged husband, who has become this adult, violent person because of his arsenic poisoning and his repressed hatred towards her and her son, um, decides that he is doing something nefarious uh, with the cat semen. And she starts following (laughs) him and she starts to uh, track the women that he's Mm. visiting. Now, the very first victim um, that is part of the Whitechapel one, but is not part of the five canonical ones. And I can't remember what her name is, but that very first Catherine one. Catherine Eddowes, maybe? No, no, that's later. Smith? Mm. Anyway, I'll, I'll she yeah. is the one who died because a very large blunt object was inserted in her vagina and she it broke her some, I, I don't know, par- I don't, can't pronounce right. it. Right, this is the one died. who is allegedly gang, like a gang right. murder. Yes, yeah. yeah. So that was actually Florence. Florence was trying the first time to remove the semen Emma with Smith. a bellows. And unfortunately you. didn't do it very well. And the girl ends up dying. And Florence is really sad about this and decides in her lizard person 1888 sort of way that it will be better for her to immediately kill these girls because she doesn't know what kind of monsters growing in them. And they're mm. just prostitutes and she's putting them out of their misery anyway. So she starts <laughs> killing the girls after he's done with them and then taking their uteruses to hide any connection between her family and the girls. Um, there is a confrontation eventually <laughs> between her and Michael and James. Um, we assume shortly after James dies, by his own hand, they decide that he really gave himself an overdose of laudanum, um, which is the thing that actually killed him. But Michael is the one who pushes so hard for Florence to be put in jail. Michael is the one who hires that judge who is crazy. Michael pays off the judge to put her in jail. Florence writes the diary as a way to protect herself and hides it in the house, assuming that once she's actually in jail and she's away from Michael, she'll be able to contact somebody. They can go find it. And without going into any of the unbelievable stuff, it'll be a great way for her defense to say that she was protecting herself against this violent man. Mm -hmm. But Michael stops her from being able to talk to anybody else. And so the diary goes undiscovered until 1992 when Europe's uh, economic recession causes some unemployed scrap dealer to try and hawk it to a publisher. Um, and Florence dies alone in Connecticut with her cats. So that's my alternate history. I think it has legs, guys. I, I, would, enough, I yeah. would watch that uh, real good. <laughs> and it has legs, unlike the sharks in the literal Sharks versus Jets West Side story that we are making. Uh, I like that Romeo and Juliet. I think you should write that. I also, I kind of want to see, like, the fucking Boz Lerman take on the fucking lizard people. Uh, oh, yeah, that would be great. Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> Bridget, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I feel like I said that really fast. Did I talk too fast? No, that okay. worked perfectly. <laughs> uh, listeners, we have no sense of time this episode, I think, at this point. Well, technically, we've been recording for a lot longer than we usually do because yeah. I fucked up and lost my file. <laughs> Well, your computer fucked up. That's not on you. You don't have to carry that. Um, I've been I've been I've been verbally abusive to my computer, and I think it's just retaliating. 
Um, Can we mention Michael Maybrick super quick? Oh, yes. Yes, let's talk about Mr. Michael Maybrick. So Michael Maybrick was a famous composer, uh, went under the name Stephen Allen. He wrote some, like, song called The Holy City that was, like, a number one million chart topper in England at the time, which I guess means people actually bought the sheet music. (laughs) Yeah, Um, that's literally what that means. Um, You know, I still feel that if you really want to listen to a song, you have to buy the sheet music. (laughs) (laughs) God, I can't wait till that becomes the trend. And you could just way more easy because tolerable people have started getting into vinyls and I can't tell who's awful anymore. Oh, it's the cassette people. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) You say say that, Brian, but but up until a few years ago, you were still writing on a typewriter exclusively. (laughs) (laughs) That is fair. Uh-huh. So this guy, Bruce Robinson, wrote this book called They All Love Jack, which is uh, a line from one of Michael Maybrick's songs, They All Love Jack, uh, which very vehemently puts forth the theory that Michael Maybrick is the actual killer and that he was trying to frame his brother James for the murders. And that it is, in fact, also why he sent Florence to prison because she had been he had been obsessed with her. Uh, apparently, she was also sleeping with Edwin Maybrick, their little brother, and had turned down Michael, even though most people believe that he was gay. But part of the theory was that he hated her for like rejecting him when she took her brother his brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy argues that every piece of evidence is like linked to some Masonic ritual and that all the bodies are laid out according to these Masonic scenes. And that, that piece of, of anti-Jewish graffiti that they mm-hmm. saw above the apron fragment was actually a reference to these three Masonic uh, assassins who are like the Jews. They're like, they're not, they're are They have J names. So, okay. or something like that. I don't know. So he puts forth this case. It's very obvious that he hates Freemasons a lot in it. <laughs> um, but they were, it was talking about how like Michael's reputation was that he was very arrogant, very vain, prone to fits of temper, and very charming. So he sounds much more like a sociopath than his brother James did. Yeah. I, I, I feel like the story of this episode of The Revisionist is this. We talked about James Maybrick, and eventually. There was the story of James Maybrick, and then I gave one alternate version of the story of James Maybrick. (laughs) And then we got a second alternate version, and then in the Michael Maybrick story, we got a third alternate version, (laughs) and we never never really got the true story, which was this this was a guy who had a sad wife and didn't (laughs) kill anybody. And another guy who lost his wife, who tried to make some money off of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the real story. The revisionist... There's basically five revisionist choices and one true story, which is depressing as fuck. <laughs> Nobody in England had jobs in 1992. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Everyone is drunk. <laughs> so, listeners, uh, real quick, just want to mention that The Revisionist is a proud member of the Denver Podcast Network, along with such shows as The Voice of Montbello, uh, which is run by uh, the high school students of was uh, formerly Montbello High School. And is now split into uh, several different schools, but it's a uh, it's a really amazing show. They do an amazing job with it. They talk about issues in their community, which is largely African American and Latinx, uh, and they interview uh, they interview police chiefs, uh, city officials, down to their neighbors. Uh, so check out Voice of Montbello. It's a really really awesome show. Um, 
as for as for as for this fart machine, uh, we ask that you review this show on your podcast service of choice. Uh, be that Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, uh, Spotify should be up soon. I don't know what is going on with that. Uh, and you can always uh, reach out to us via our website, revisionistpodcast.com, or Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or uh, Tumblr, uh, the website invented by Francis Tumblety. Um Please do not write in about how I mispronounced Anaki a million times because nobody believes in that crap and you should stop as well. Okay, well, no, but the exact people who would <laughs> complain about you mispronouncing Anaki are the people who are going to write about that constantly. Please don't write in. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Bridget, you, uh, you're going to be on uh, Call to Arms uh, sorry, kickback comedy at Call to Arms, uh, September twelfth. I yeah. will. Please don't come up and talk to me about how I pronounced it there either. <laughs> Unless you bring a joint. If you bring yeah. a joint, we could talk about how to pronounce oh, Anaki. Oh my god, no! That's going to make it so. I'm much a bringer, worse. man. I'm a bring <laughs> bring people to my shows. <laughs> uh, 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 uh. Um, also, you're uh, at Bridget Callahan on Twitter. Yeah, thanks. That's exactly where we need to put that in the conversation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Here's how to get at me on social media. <laughs> Yeah, you're, you're Reddit. On Reddit, you're known as what? <laughs> Zach, you're sort of leading the charge on our getting people to register to vote awareness campaign. So this was, uh, since our last episode, another incredibly weird week in American politics. <laughs> if you did not notice. And uh, I encourage everybody, uh, for most states... The end of voter registration in order to vote in the 2018 election is going to be the beginning of October, about a month before the election. So you're running out of time. At this point, you got about a month left. And if you're not registered in a month in most states, you aren't voting. And I would actually encourage people to also double check that they are registered, especially if they live in a more regressive by... I don't want to say Republicans are regressive, but let's say a regressive state. There's been a lot of people saying if you are registered to vote, they may purge the voter rolls. Those laws do exist in some states. So I would double check your voter registration. And if you're not registered at all, make sure you are registered. I would say uh, you can uh, either go to, um, you know, the USA.gov register to vote website, or uh, I know it's a rival podcast in an entirely different field but uh if you search vote save america they do have sample ballots they have a quick and easy tool to check if you're registered to vote and to send you to the right website to register to vote if online voter registration is an option in your state and uh yeah so use one of those two tools to 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 register because i feel like this is an important one Mm-hmm. So try to vote. Do you really? It. Yeah. Are you sure? I don't know. And especially, uh, especially double check your registration if you have not voted in the last few elections. Yes. Uh, if you if you haven't voted in a couple of elections in a lot of states, uh, there are laws that your voter registration is immediately purged. Mm-hmm. So if that's the case, and um, if you can't register online, you should be able to at like a DMV. Post office, maybe I feel like libraries. Libraries, yeah, yep. libraries. Libraries are a great. Reason and hey, for that. figure out where your polling place is. If there's early voting, if there's vote by mail, anything that makes it easier for you to mm-hmm. to work it into your schedule. 
If you don't vote, you're not getting laid after November <laughs> ever again. <laughs> exactly. And, and Vote Save America also gives you your lo- your nearest polling place, yes. uh, if it's available at this point. Some aren't yet, but... Um, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. As for me, on a far less important uh, far less important note, we should reverse the position of these so we go out on voting. Uh, I co-host Queen City Companion with friend of the show Jen Colic, which is an all-fall storytelling show the first Thursday of every month at Mutiny Information Cafe in Denver, which is also a podcast. Uh, if you search for Mutiny Transmissions, uh, there's a whole stew of podcasts on that channel. Also, my new show, Know Your Shit, uh, is premiering September 15th. At- now, Brian, can I ask you? Yes. Is that is that K-N-O-W... Yes. Your shit, or is it no, comma, you, apostrophe, R-E, no. shit? No, it is It is the first one because I am not that confrontational. I think the loser should get a t-shirt saying that <laughs> no. one, though. No, I am not. I am not putting forward the money for t-shirts for that. That's fair. That's I do fair. like this idea. The winner knows their shit, but the loser, no, your shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's going to be September 15th. At Comedy Room Room, um, it's uh, comedian TED Talks, and it's going to be really fun. So come check that out. The theme for the first one is destruction, and then the theme for the October show is monsters. So the oh first one. Oh my god! Good night. No, yes. Yeah, I, I <laughs> so come check those out. Uh, but I think that'll do it for this episode. We'll be opening the voting for the Jack the Ripper uh, episodes on. Uh, after the September 15th episode. Vote for me. Kittens <laughs> in uteruses. <laughs> yeah. We've got six options. Yeah, yeah, it's your Etsy store, isn't it? <laughs> six options so far. And the only viable real world candidate is Frank is Francis Tumblety. Because I do not believe the other two are Jack the Ripper. Yeah. No, but Francis Tumblety was definitely Jack the Ripper for sure. Yeah. Just his mustache alone is... That fucking shit about faking being it. Anyway, anyway, go listen to that last episode after you vote for mine. Uh, but Bridget, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. Zach, thank you as always. Yep, of course. Uh, for everyone here at The Revisionists, I'm Brian Flynn. I'm Zach Powers. Have a good time. <laughs> <laughs>